I was like, listen, I need to find this doctor, you know, and this friend of mine was able to find his doctor, tell me that he was getting ready to open a practice that it hadn't even opened up yet. But this is the practice and this is the address. So I pulled up. You're tuned in to A Story Worth Living, the podcast. I'm your host, Jennifer E. Patterson. I'm an educator, a personal growth enthusiast, and a Jesus girl. And I'm so excited to be able to share stories with you. Stories and experiences of everyday people that connect and inspire us to look deeper, to try harder, and to go farther. With that said, I'd like to welcome you to listen to this episode of A Story Worth Living. So just recently, I was on a plane, um, had taken a trip um, to California, and from where I live, that's it's almost a four-hour um, flight if it's nonstop. And I tried my very best to book nonstop flights because I just like those better. If I don't have to stop and get off a plane just to get on another plane. I'm good. If I can just stay on the plane the whole time. Well, anyway, on the flight coming back, uh, shortly after takeoff, well, right before we took off, the pilot let us know that, uh, there were some storms that would sort of be in our path and also that there would be a little bit of turbulence. And throughout our flight, there were pockets of turbulence and, but it it wasn't bad. But anyway, um, I guess you can say that that topic of turbulence um, was on my mind um, as we are drawing close to the end of this this particular um, season where we're talking about what it looks like to navigate challenging times, a.k.a. adversity, a.k.a. tough times in our lives. And you know, I get back and I'm, I'm on YouTube and there's this video that comes up in my feed and it is a longtime airline pilot and he's explaining really the concept of turbulence while in flight. And I thought it was very interesting, kind of an information buff. I just like to know things, right? Especially if it's something that I'm experiencing, it's just really cool to understand how it works. And so as he began his explanation He mentioned that often it is thought that turbulence happens because wind is hitting the plane head on. I mean, that's just kind of how we envision it, I guess. Uh, You know, us lay people that don't actually have not actually gone to flight school and, and don't know anything about flying aircraft. But as he explained, it's actually the direction of winds that are hitting the plane from many different directions. Right. And so turbulence can come out of nowhere uh, literally. (laughs) And I learned that there are different types of turbulence. In fact, that can impact your flight in different ways. The four main types, uh, of turbulence include what's called clear air turbulence. I had heard of that one. The other three I hadn't heard of. So you have clear air turbulence, you have thermal turbulence, mechanical turbulence and wake turbulence. Yes. Wake W A K E. So clear air turbulence happens when there are changes in the jet stream and that's naturally occurring air currents that circle the globe. And when these air currents shift, it can rock the plane. Um, These 
air currents or this type of turbulence can be navigated by the plane flying out of that unstable air by rising several thousand feet or lowering several thousand feet because that type of air does not exist, you know, past about a thousand feet. The second type, thermal turbulence happens when towering clouds that are part of a storm weather system disrupt the plane's path. And those are those really tall ones, the, the big puffy cumulus clouds that storms come out of. Well, to navigate safely, pilots can receive real-time data and alternate flight plans so that they can fly around or above the storm instead of through it. A third type is mechanical turbulence. And this happens when air flows over naturally occurring landforms like mountains and trees. This air can flow up into the path of an aircraft and cause it to rock. Navigating this type of turbulence relies on data about the terrain and the capacity to adjust the flight path in order to avoid it as much as possible. And then the fourth main type of turbulence is called wake turbulence. And it occurs when air flows off of the wings and trails behind it. And these air flows can stay active after flowing off the wings and, you know, flowing backwards. And those air flows can impact other aircrafts. And so pilots are able to navigate around these types of air flows by moving the aircraft a little to the left or a little to the right or by increasing the altitude. You know, all of this talk about turbulence reminds me of a few things, right? Turbulence is naturally occurring. It's going to happen and it's not going away. And we have to figure out how to deal with it, aka navigate around it in order to get where we're going. The good thing about it is there actually are ways to navigate turbulence. And I must say that when I'm in the plane, experiencing that rockiness, Uh, that turbulence, it's really hard in the moment to imagine the dynamics behind it and to understand that um, there are ways to get out of it. You know, it just feels rough. It feels uncomfortable. But knowing that through a well-documented process, pilots can get their planes through these rough patches safely, knowing that brings a sense of peace in buckling your safety belt and weathering the challenge of turbulence as we leave it up to the pilot. Well, I say all of that to say um, that it's really exciting to feature Shay Crockett, Pastor Shay Crockett, in fact, in this episode as he shares his heart and a personal story along the lines of what it looks like to stare adversity in the face and find the strength to navigate it only to discover that you're better because of it. He talks about his proverbial rocking in the plane, his proverbial turbulence and how he was able to address it. His story worth living is so powerful and I hope that it perpetually inspires everyone who has the privilege to hear it. The privilege to not only hear it, but the capacity to decide to run on and see what the end will be. Don't take my word for it. Just listen in and you'll see for yourself. My name is Byron Shea Crockett. Uh, I, I give 
my full name from time to time, not because I'm into myself, <laughs> but uh, I am a product of public school education. And on the first day of school, I never wanted to go through the hassle of having the teacher change my name on the roll from my first name, Byron, to the name my entire family calls me, Shay, which is my middle name. So all of my public school friends, they all know me as Byron. My church and family friends know me as Shay. Um, and the last name is Crockett. So that's why I use all three names. I'm currently associate pastor at a first Seventh-day Adventist church in a beautiful city of Huntsville, Alabama, where my main responsibility is to put out fires. That's right. <laughs> I put fires out. Um, and I love, I love working with people, troubleshooting problems and just impacting lives. And I'm able to do that and to see the fruits of the labor, um, very fast, uh, because first church is an amazing church. So that's a little bit about myself. I have a beautiful wife, Vanessa, two boys. Jackson is the youngest. Caleb is the oldest. And uh, I'm a Floridian. So, yeah, that's that's super cool. Um, so you mentioned that you are a pastor. Yeah. Like, how did mm. you how did you even get on that path? Yeah, I got on that path. Um, I ran f- from it for a while. Um, and it's something that I I had a some level of conviction growing up. You know, some at some point in high school, uh, I I had a sense to being called to ministry, but for various reasons, I decided to not pursue it. Um, I stayed home, went to junior college. Um, it's actually during that time while I was running from God that I meet Vanessa, um, and. Um, we started dating, getting to know each other. And then I eventually stopped running from God and answered the call to ministry. I share this testimony from time to time. I'm, a large part of the reason I'm in ministry is because Pastor Snell, he would not, he literally would not leave me alone. Between him and his father, they just kept hounding me, telling me that I was running from God. And it all came together. Um, Pastor Snell's wedding weekend. It literally was the drive home from his wedding where God allowed a series of events to place the strongest conviction of my life um, to, to answer the call. And I've been pastoring ever since pursuing ministry and in ministry ever since. I think that is pretty cool. And um as a member of First Church, um, I must say, like, I and I'm a little bit biased, but like the pastoral team that is here is, it's super cool to kind of have pastors who are in, you know, your age group. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And um, like your personality and and pastoring and you said you put out fires like I can yeah like that whole thing works it it just it just works um because goodness knows 
yeah. we need it. We need it because we always start in fires, but um we all are. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> always starting, always striking up something. This season, um, and I say this season of the podcast, um, and not necessarily the season in life, but we can't get away from this season in life. Um, but this season of the podcast, I just really was impressed um, that it would be beneficial to talk about um, struggles and um, how we are navigating um, those struggles and um, just getting stories, personal experiences, I think um, has been uh, pretty encouraging. Um, I, one example, late one night, I got a an uh, inbox on messenger and it was my cousin who actually mm. listens to my podcast pretty regularly. Mm. And well, actually what got my attention, um, was he sent me something, um, via Zelle. So I was just like, why is my cousin sending me money? Like, <laughs> you know, what's, what, going what's, what's going on here? So I jumped into to inbox, you know, to the messenger. And I was just like, thank you. Like, what's up? Like, what's going on? And he said, I don't know how I missed. It was one of the last two podcasts that I had, episodes that I had um, posted in this series. And he was like, I don't know how I missed that. He said, but I just listened to that. And it was, it was for me. And, and, you know, mm. basically I had to, I had to bless the messenger. <laughs> and so, Come on, man. yeah, that was so encouraging to me. So I know even if it's five people, even if it's one person to me, that is multiplication right there. Um, it is um, something that they can take with them and something that, that will strengthen, encourage them. And so thankful to have you on the podcast to share. And I know you share all the time because you're a pastor, but just to hear you talk, you know, about your own life experience and encourage someone out of that, I think is pretty cool. So thank you for being on here. And mm -hmm. along those lines of struggles and navigating struggles, what is, what's your take on adversity? Like, like, how do you see it? How does it hit you? Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, adversity is, it's life. It's full of tests and trials and, and I say full um, because just like in anything in life, we tend to talk about, remember, harp on the bad more than we do the good. You know, we go to restaurants, we, we go to uh, venues, hotels. It's rare. Most of us, some are, are better about, about it than others, but most of us don't really write a review unless it's a bad experience. Um, and so life is full of adversities, um, these difficult, these trying times. And while I say full of, once again, I think when we look at our, our life from start to finish, most of us will have to admit that there has been more good than bad. Of course, there are some whose whose testimony and story is, is different, right? But I like to think that these tests and trials are adversities are it they're fire. But the fire is not sent, allowed, permitted to consume us. Like it literally 
is there to refine us. Um, and so we can't control, we can't prevent them from happening. And many of us have attempted to, whether it was the pursuit of a, a, a career that would ensure a certain salary so we wouldn't have the adversities that we had in our homes that we grew up in. Um, but then something else happens. There's trouble in the marriage or trouble with the children or, you know, issues on the job. There's, there's always going to be something we cannot avoid them. Um, but how we view them does make a difference. We view them as, you know, punishment. We'll get to that later. Um, if we view them as things sent to destroy us, you know, or why, the, if we stay in the why, if we stay in the how, then I think we're missing great opportunity, prime opportunities for us to leave better than we came. Mercy, that's powerful. I, and it makes me, I, is it safe to say that, um, adversity struggles aka hard times are necessary they are they are very necessary especially if we are wanting to grow mm. if we're wanting to to improve if we're wanting to enlarge you know whether it's our influence or our territories those things happen by going through the fire is just like working out. And I guess the saying is true, no pain, no gain. Mm -hmm. Like literally, you know, you've worked out when the muscle is fatigued, when it is sore, it, it is telling you that growth is taking place. Mm. Um, and if you go in the gym and you don't put maximum effort in, if you don't inflict some level of pain, then your capacity is not going to grow. Mercy. I mean, even if you're not uh, one who likes to lift weights, if, if you're a runner or you're a walker, like if, if you're not pushing yourself to that next level, if mm -hmm. you're not breathing a little harder, like your, your capacity is just not going to grow. You're going to continue to run a quarter of a mile. You're not going to get to the half mile you're not going to get to the mile or the two miles it's when we push ourselves um that we're able to and our capacity is is increased or enlarged wow so in listening to you um i'm a visual learner so i just had a flashback to i didn't get to participate in this past um cotton row run which was <laughs> rescheduled for labor day but one of the last ones now, I, you know, my right knee is just not working mm. with the program anymore, so I can't run anymore. But mm. the last one that I did, uh, moving forward toward the race, um, mm. I was, you know, contemplating whether or not I was going to register for the 5K or the 10K. I had never done the mm. 10K. I'd mm. always done the 5K. So I, I was mm. familiar with the 5K, the distance. Um, yeah. you know, what I would have to exert. Um, I was comfortable with that. 
um, I did not know about doubling that, right? So I remember I had told a friend, because she, Marsha Cantrell, you know, dealing with Marsha and Jonathan, mm-hmm. you know, you better, be, you better be up to something. Um, right. And so I remember I, w- I think I had told her that I was thinking about doing the 10K and she was just like, yeah, 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 you know, I'm doing it, great. But then I got a little nervous. I started getting a little anxious as the closer we got to the race. And I was just like, nah, I'm going to stay in my comfort zone. I'm going to do the five. And I remember talking to her and she was just like, Jen, no, you can do the 10. Mm. Right. So she started encouraging me. And what helped me back was I hadn't done it before. Um, they, They talked about this big hill that's probably towards the end of the race. Um, down there. And, you know, I hadn't faced those, those, you know, those challenges. And I felt like I didn't want to push myself, but I Mm -hmm. did. I finally said, okay, I'm going to register. I did. And even the day of the race, I was nervous as all get out, but I started out with a good pace. um, And I just kept pushing myself and I just kept pushing. I remember I just kept telling myself, just keep going, just keep going. I had to stop and walk. And and, yeah. and then start back jogging. And when I got to that hill, I did something real crazy. Mm. I said, I'm going to run that hill. Come on, come <laughs> and on. I ran the hill and I paid for it the next day. <laughs> but <laughs> but I finished and I remember seeing the finish line. And when I finished that race, I realized it was all mental. I realized that what was holding me back was the thought that I could not do it. Yeah, I didn't have the capacity to do it. So when you were saying that, it just reminded me sometimes, you know, you, you know, you have to push past, you know, those thoughts. Um, you have to push past, you know, what mentally what's holding, holding us back and we have the capacity. And when you push yourself, that's when you recognize that you actually have the capacity. And I must say, I was so proud of myself. It didn't matter what anybody else said. Like, I achieved a goal that I had not even really seriously been intending to achieve, but then I was able to see my capacity. So thank you for that. That was really, really powerful. Praise God. Really, really powerful. So as you talk about the fact that um, adversity and challenges really force us to grow, um, I, I have a sneaking suspicion that you are not speaking theoretically. (laughs) <laughs> but that you are in fact speaking out of experience. Yeah. <laughs> Am yeah. I right? Am I right? <laughs> yeah, definitely. 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 So one of the things that we love to do on the podcast is share stories, like sure. those authentic experiences. So I just want to give you some space to share um, a, a story or two that illustrates the fact that adversity actually works to our benefit. Yeah. Right. Um, and as I prepare to dive into my, my story, I do want to just say thank you, uh, Jen, for this platform. This is uh, a dynamic platform. And I think one of the things um, the pandemic has done, it created an opportunity for um, individuals like yourself and myself to really create, to create safe places um, where impact can um, take place. And I'm grateful for this opportunity. 2012, um, this is a familiar, I've shared this uh, story um, from time to time. But in 2012, you know, I was in decent shape. um, And while 
I hadn't been to the doctor as, as regular as <laughs> I probably should have. Um, I thought I was in pretty decent um, health and shape. Um, but one weekend, I'll never forget, um, it was just this weekend in September. I just started having these dizzy spells, these, these, these moments of feeling faint. It just came out of nowhere. It started in the kitchen, Sabbath morning, getting prepared to go to church. Just kind of like, whoa, what's that? Um, and throughout the weekend, it just kind of progressed Sunday, Saturday evening. Um, my uh, former senior pastor, Sam Dade, he had a fish fry at his house, invited the whole church over to his house. We had a great time. But as I was getting out of my friend's car, um, um, Romaine Medley, I felt it coming again, this, this dizzy spell. And I almost fainted. Um, I stumbled. I leaned all the way back. And the only thing that caught me was uh, my pastor's fence. It was a chain link fence and it had some gift to it. So literally I just kind of bounced into the fence and bounced back. I'm like, whoa, um, here it goes again. Um, that night continues. Everything is fine. You know, Sunday morning, I was playing on a, a flag football team and uh, we had the game and being a typical male that I am, my thoughts were, if I can get through this game without any spells, uh, I'm, I'm okay. It's not a big deal. Right? It's just something that was just, I was experiencing just yesterday. And um, I had a great game, had some great catches. Man, I, I, you know, at the time I was, I think, 31. I was like, man, I'm back in my 20s, man. I'm, 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 I'm doing my thing out here with these young boys. <laughs> and then um, after the game, I was really thirsty, Jen. And, you know, I, people say don't go to the store when you're hungry, shopping, grocery store. You probably shouldn't go to the grocery store when you're thirsty either because the my my buggy was full of liquid. Uh, it was coconut water and then gallons of water and Powerade. I mean, I just bought so much to drink. And while I was in Publix with my grocery cart full of liquid to drink, things to hydrate myself, I had another dizzy spell. And I said to myself, okay, um, if this happens again, <laughs> not that that was enough, but if this happens again, I'm going to go to the hospital. Wow. And um, I got home. I was I updated my wife, Vanessa, on what transpired. And I was just telling her I'm going to keep an eye on it. And if it happens again, we'll go to the hospital. Fast forward, um, that Sunday, late Sunday night, early Monday morning, I'm going to cut the light off and um, in the living room to go upstairs and I get to the wall and I feel it coming and I literally say to myself, oh, oh, here it comes. But this time I went completely out. I fainted out, out cold. I don't know how long I was out for, but I came to. And um, I called upstairs to to Vanessa and I told her, hey, man, we got to go to the hospital. It was after midnight. Um, and so, 
she got ready. We walked out of the door. And I remember looking back at my house. I knew something was terribly wrong. And I remember looking back at the house and saying to myself, I'm not sure I'm going to ever come back here. Oh, wow. Um, got in the car. We went to the hospital and they began to check me in. You know, when, when you're having dizzy spells in your chest, there's not a long wait in the ER. Right. So I got in pretty fast. They they checked my vitals. Um, they put me in an observation room and they just, you know, watched things for a couple of days. Couldn't quite pinpoint what was going on. And the word that the doctor came back with was dehydration. Um, you are extremely dehydrated. Um, we're going to allow you to finish this IV and then we'll be back with some discharge papers. By this time, my family has come into town. That's one of the things I'm really grateful for, a very loving family. Whenever I've had a challenge in life or an, or an achievement in life, my family has been there. So I'm so grateful for that. And by this time, my family was there. My mom's there. My brother's there. My dad's there. My sister, who's an RN, she doesn't play, Jen. She, she, she don't play the radio. <laughs> She's there with her badge from her hospital, yes. from, from Tallahassee. She wants everybody to know, listen, I'm here. I'm an RN. And I'm go- you're going to take care of my brother. Right. Um, and so they're getting ready to bring the discharge papers. And I'm unsettled. You know, I've played sports before. I've been dehydrated before. This did not feel like dehydration. Mm. And so um, I'm waiting for them to come and discharge me, not really wanting to leave the hospital. Um, and he, and instead of coming back with discharge papers, he comes in my room with the EKG um, strip paper where you can see pretty much a flat line like mm. five beats six beats seven beats eight beats nine heartbeats missed wow and i did not even feel it like i i, I didn't i didn't i wasn't dizzy i was laying down in the bed in the, in the, in the hospital bed so you know uh, i guess there even though i was going through these episodes oxygen was not leaving my head so that I fainted or felt faint because I was laying down, praise God. Mm. And so um, he tells me that a specialist is going to come in and tell me about this. And so my sister's trying to draw it up. You know, she's like, wow, this is heart block, you know, um, and she's trying to draw it up. And then in comes the specialist. I'll never forget this man. His last name is Mundal, Dr. Mundal. He is a cardiac electrophysiologist. Hmm. Um, and the brother was brilliant. Um, so brilliant. that He really came off as very arrogant. Mm-hmm. And um, I was a little turned off by his arrogance at first. I wanted a second opinion as he tells me I have third degree heart block. I'm going to need a pacemaker. And if I don't get a pacemaker, I will not have a normal life. Like I won't be able to drive. I can faint at any time. Um, And so I wasn't ready. I wasn't ready to deal with Mm. that. Um, The shock of it all hit me. Why? How could this be? Haven't I done this? Why couldn't it be so-and-so, right? I see. Um, and and I'm in this moment of shock. It's like I'm there, but I'm not there. 
Um, but we have this moment. Me and him have this very special moment when he asked me what I do for a living. I tell him I'm a pastor. And me and him look, we make eye contact. And he looks at me and he tells me, oh, so you know what this is. Mm. And what he was telling me was, you are a miracle. Like you should be dead, right? Now my family, who's ultra concerned about me, like they really want a second opinion. This man is coming here. He's, he knows everything. He's arrogant. You know, we need a second opinion, but Jen, I was at that moment there. I was good. Right. You knew I had kind of snapped out. Like when he said that, Oh, you know what this is. Wow. Like me and him were, we were eye to eye. Um, but because of my family and me wanting to please them and take their thoughts into consideration, I said I wanted a second opinion. Sure. Right. And so we go through that process and I missed my initial surgery that was supposed to take place because we're looking for this second opinion. And, you know, um, I remember, I remember Jen sending everybody home, even Vanessa. I mm-hmm. sent her home one night and me and God had a real conversation, mm-hmm. like tears in my eyes, crying. I'm asking him these questions. How could this be? Why me? Why not so-and-so? Mm-hmm. And the word that came back to me, Jen, it was so sobering. It was so humbling. Why not you? Wow. You know, and then I began to process it and I began, I began to say, you know what? I, this needed to be me. I wouldn't want this for my brother. I wouldn't want this for my sister. I wouldn't want this for anybody else. This, I needed to carry this weight. Um, and so the next day, me and God were, were good. I had already gone through, I think there was four stages of adversity when navigating through. I had already went through the first stage of shock. That night, I was going through that second stage, which is, I believe, it is well. Like, mm. it's well with my soul. Whatever happens whether I come out of this or not, I'm okay. Right. Mm-hmm. And so I tell my family, listen, I don't need a second opinion. I'm ready to, to move forward. Now there's some pushback. They don't want to believe this. You know, I've been healthy my whole life. I'm like, listen, I'm the one who's laying here in this hospital bed. Whose heart is stopping. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. We getting this done. Right. Yeah. It is well with my soul. We're moving forward. Um, and I remember one of the nurses coming in and this was a life lesson for me. The nurse was telling me what I was not going to be able to do. Yeah. You're not going to be able to play basketball anymore. You're, you're not going to be able to play football anymore. You're not going to be able to do this. You're not going to be able to do that. And that I held on to that word. Right. Um, and so while it is well with me, like it still is a process so now I'm grieving that I won't be able to do X, Y, and Z. I'm happy yeah. that I'm alive, but I'm still grieving that I'm not going to be able to do these things, which mm. were so important to me. Um, and so I have the surgery. Um, everything, by the grace and mercy of God, went very smooth. Um, I could not move my arm above my shoulder for six weeks I could not lift anything heavier than like a gallon of water for that time period too. And while I was just recovering, um, just had a lot of time to, to meet and to just to talk with God. 
And the third stage of navigating through um, adversity for me is revelation. Mm. Right. I went through shock. I went through it as well. Now, since I'm okay with this, I'm asking God, well, what is it that you want me to learn from this? Give me revelation. And like Jen, God pointed me to Hebrews 11, 39 and 40, where it says, and these all having obtained a good report through faith and referencing the hall of faith and all those individuals, mm-hmm. it said they received not the promise. And verse 40 says, God having provided some better thing for us, that they without us should not be made perfect. And the revelation that God gave me, because, you know, even though it was well, right? I'm still wrestling with things. Yeah. I'm still thinking that this is punishment mm. for my transgressions. Like, because what you reap, you sow. And that is true, right? Mm-hmm. But I'm thinking this is punishment. And in this passage of scripture, I just gave two verses, but in essence, what the writer is saying is that what God has that's better for us. Yeah is the blood of Jesus Christ. And and when we compare our lives living under the blood-stained banner compared Mm -hmm. with those who were living in a day and time where their sins were covered by the blood of lambs and bulls, right? Mm -hmm. What we have is far greater. And man, that thing really spoke to me. It really spoke to the love of God right yeah. he's not this he's not this big old mean god looking down at us trying to punish us for everything we do wrong no like he is a lo- a very loving god and in addition to that like there is greater forgiveness mm. more grace is available like literally if their sins could be covered by the blood of a lamb and a bull what can the mm. blood of jesus christ cover Right. So with that revelation that God gave me, I I really began to look at this, this, this adversity that I was experiencing, not as punishment, but as an opportunity for me to be reminded that my life, literally every heartbeat is in God's hands. Yeah. And that's what the pacemaker reminds me. There were days when I woke up in disbelief and I touched my chest to see if it wasn't there. Mm-hmm. And it still was, right? Yeah, yeah. But I was reminded that it was there as a reminder that God controls my life. My life is in his hand. Now, you remember, I was telling you about that nurse that told me I wouldn't be able to play basketball or any sports. I'll tell you, I'll tell you, I'll tell you how good God is. Come on. That same doctor, man, that I love. I'm telling you something about that doctor. He left the original practice that um, the heart group that he was with when he did that procedure. Mm-hmm. And the, and he left and, you know, because of legal issues and him leaving the practice, he couldn't tell his patients that he was leave, leaving. He couldn't even tell them where they were going. Right. Mm-hmm. He just vanished. I come into the practice one day and he's not there. They give right. me some other guy. I'm like, I'm not here for him, for him. I'm here for the man who looked me in my eyes and told me, you know what this is. Yeah. 
the beautiful thing about pastoring in Orlando, um, being an Adventist pastor, is that you know that we have an Adventist health system. At the time, it was Florida Hospital, and had a friend who you know worked for the, the, the Adventist Hospital health system, and I called in a favor. I was like, listen, I need to find this doctor, you know, and this friend of mine was able to find his doctor, tell me that he was getting ready to open a practice that it hadn't even opened up yet, but this is the practice and this is the address. So I pulled up, (laughs) Jen, I pulled up. I was not his current patient. I pulled up, I made an appointment to, 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 to meet with him and he took me in. He remembered me, right? He took me in as a patient. And so I'm having this follow-up meeting with him and I'm down. Like I'm down because I can't do those things. I'm still walking with the Lord. It is well. I've had revelation. I'm still having these moments of sorrow while I'm mourning the fact that I can't do these things that I love doing. And the doctor tells me when I tell him, yeah, I can't do X. I can't do Y. I can't do Z. Well, let me put X, Y, and Z together. I don't want nobody thinking uh, uh, I was sad I couldn't do the drug X, right? <laughs> so X, Y, and Z. Let me put them all together, right? right? I can't do X, Y, and Z. And he tells me, he looks at me with the same look, Jen, and he says, mm. who told you that? Oh, my goodness. Who told you that? I said, the nurse. The nurse at the hospital, she told me I couldn't play any sports. Like, I couldn't do that. He said, did I tell you that? Mercy. I said, no, it was a nurse. He said, I gave you that device to restore your quality of life. Oh, my goodness. Not to restrict it. He said, and then so, you know, my mom, who was a loving mom, she was so concerned about me. I was trying to, he he, he cleared me to go back to my normal activities, um, which leads me to the, my, my, my last stage in navigating um, adversity is walk it out. Mm. You just got to walk it out. You got to deal with the new realities, the new norms, the revelation, and you just got to move forward. So I'm moving forward with my life and I'm up on the roof. I'm cleaning the roof, the gutters out. And my mom is, she's mad. She's concerned. Like, get down. What are you doing? Right. So my next follow-up appointment, and I still have this voice message. I just got to find it. <laughs> I, I asked my doctor to, to, uh, to, to dictate, um, you know, to my mom, you know, that I'm clear, right? Yeah. And he takes the phone and he, he records giving me all clearance to climb the roof, to play sports, to horse around, to do any and all activities that he was doing beforehand. And, you know, from then, I've just been walking it out. I've just been walking in this reality. There's days, there's, there's days when I touch my chest to see if it's still there. And yes, it is still there. Um, but I'll have you know, that you know, every time I go and get it read, my pacemaker read, I have nothing but the greatest reports. Mercy. Um, and so I'm I'm just grateful. I'm grateful. So again, shock is gonna get you like a ton of bricks, you know, but then you gotta process it. You gotta come up to that, get to that point where you just say, you know what, it's well, it's well with my soul. And then you gotta begin to ask God, well, what are you trying to teach me in this season, in this, this um, this situation that I'm going through? What's the revelation? And then once you receive that revelation, you just got to walk. You got to walk it out. You just got to move forward in it. You know, 
That is such a good story. That is such a good story, not because it has all the elements of a good story, because it does, but because <clears throat> you allowed us to see how God brings, th- brings things full circle. <clears throat> like <clears throat> the good, the bad, and the ugly. And I always talk about, um, what's the, is it Romans 8, 28? Um, that where God says he'll make all things work together. Mm-hmm. And I think that we have traditionally just felt like that was good things that meant good things, you yeah, know, yeah. sure. He can make good things work together. Cause that, that's, mm-hmm. that, that makes sense to me. You know what I'm saying? But the right. bad things, the challenging things don't really make sense, but it's driving home that, that, that idea, that understanding that he really does take the all of the raw materials he doesn't pick and choose but he can take all the those raw materials and he can he can bring that thing full circle um in your story what hit me uh is that you were brought closer to an understanding of god's love and his grace while you mm-hmm. were dealing with something hard um you show you show that it's a process and you you gave us a relevant perspective with those four steps. What were they shot? Uh, mm-hmm. You know, as I get older, like it's so important to me that I feel all the feels with whatever yeah. it is. You know what I mean? And it doesn't mean mm-hmm. that I'm going to stay there, but to just really be in touch with what am I, how am I, how am I reacting to this? How am I feeling about this? And, and bring not only me feeling it, but bringing it to God. Right. This is, this is, this is trash, God. (laughs) You know what I mean? Right. Mm -hmm. But, but to know that we can move from there to that it is well space to, okay, what, what am I supposed to, what is God trying to reveal to me? What can I learn space to the, okay, now how do I move forward? How do I walk it out? That That's so super practical and so relevant, I think, especially as we look over our shoulders at the last, what, 18 months, 16 to 18 months, yes. where just stuff came out of nowhere, like, nowhere. and impacted us globally. Mm-hmm. And we still don't have answers for a lot of things. So Right. <laughs> you just showed us that um, it is possible to get beauty from ashes. Mm. Mm. But God is God is so merciful. Um, when I think about going out cold completely, and you know, just my wife could have come down those steps and found me laying there. Yeah. Um, and then to restore me. Right. Um, And then for me not to be bitter. Right. But to actually be better with this ailment, the worst. This is the worst degree of heart block you can have. Yeah. Like people have first degree and they don't even know it. Second degree, you don't even know it. Third degree is the worst Mercy. electrical blockage that you can have. And I got it. Yeah. And I'm still, I'm better with that than I was Mercy. without it. Mercy. I'm better. Mercy. I'm better with it than I was 
um, without it. And that's all God. So I'm, yeah. I'm grateful for the platform that I can share my story, share what God has done um, to me, through me and for me. And I just pray and hope that it's encouraging to somebody who is trying to navigate through their current um, adversity. Um, um, I, I just am a living testimony that God can not only bring you through it, but he can make you better on this side of it than before. What would you say to someone who is in the midst of struggle right now, in the midst of something hard? It begins, the change happens when you have the honest conversation with God. Like he already knows what you're thinking, what you're feeling, but yet we try to fake the funk. We try to, to, to avoid the conversation. No, you got to have the conversation. You got to tell him exactly how you're feeling. If you are upset, you got to tell him, we got to be respectful, right? Talk to him humbly. He is God. <laughs> Right. <laughs> but tell him what is bothering you. Yeah. Now, know when you tell him, he's also going to tell you Mercy. he's going to speak to you and you have to be prepared for whatever he says to you. You have mm. to be listening to it and you have to be prepared for it. Yeah. But it begins with the honest conversation with God. No matter what it was, you could be trying to navigate from something that was done to you previously. You have to tell God how you feel. If you felt abandoned, if you felt betrayed, and not just by whomever hurt you, right? But if you felt that way about God, like you have to have that conversation with him and be open and then wait for his response. Yeah. And you have to allow God to begin to give you that revelation, right? Yeah. And at some point, at some point, you have to be able to say it is well with my soul. Yeah. Um, and then that's that's when you're able to to really process it um, and and walk it out. Take two of these and walk it out. Definitely definitely listen i am encouraged let me tell you i am encouraged and i just really appreciate you um taking the time to share your story and remind us that even in navigating challenges that we can be better because of them on the other side. Mm. Yeah. Mm. So thank you. 